Happy 2023, everyone. Although it's probably February by the time you're listening to this. It is the end of January. I'm sat with Alec Cranston in the BNV studios overlooking a rather wintry scene. Mm. Happy New Year, Alec. Happy New Year. And the biggest news of 2023 so far is not geopolitical. It's not financial. It is the fact that the unthinkable happened. Somebody (laughs) said yes to marrying Alec Cranston. Congratulations. Thank you. you. Tell us about the engagement. Oh, it was great. We, uh, so Jenna and I had a, my fiance, Jenna and I were going on a cruise down in the Caribbean. And at that point I had the ring, I got it in late December and I kind of thought, well, I mean, I might do it on the cruise. I might not. Uh, there was a lot of stress behind it for sure. Um, I told a lot of people this story, so it's good. I guess just tell it on the mic anyway, for everyone to hear. Um, it was stressful, right? I was, you know, had to get it through airport security. That was something that was in my mind. I was not trusting a check bag. So I had it in its ring box and in another box that it came in in a fossil watch case, in a toiletry bag. Which you forgot. Oh, imagine. In my backpack, which was on me. And so I always get random bag searched. I don't know why. Well, so, you look sketchy. I know. AF. Especially when they see like the, the that many boxes in a backpack. Like, what's this guy holding? So I went through security at Halifax, stressed out as could be, and uh, they'd random bag searched me. Thankfully, though, I had a note written on the ring box that said, this is an engagement ring, please be discreet. And, uh, of course, it still got random bag searched. I go down to the little, wherever it's called, the booth with the guy. Jenna's about 10 feet back, not really looking. And there's a plastic divider between me and the guy. And I see him rummaging through. I'm like, okay, he's going to get to the ring. I got to say something. So in, like, one swift moment, movement, I look back, look at her. She's not looking. I come back around, whip my head underneath the plastic divider, which in some airports would have got me arrested or shot. But this guy was cool. I said, hey, man, there's a ring in that box. Please be discreet. He goes, he goes, there's a what? I said, ring. There's a ring in the box. He goes, oh, where's she at, bro? I said, right behind me. He goes, I got you. And then he just did the search in the bag, and it was all good. Got through Toronto, nothing there. Cruise security machine. I don't even, I think you could walk through there with a machine gun in your hand. They wouldn't check it. Good through that. I will let you test that theory. I'll, I'll I'm going to back out of that experiment, <laughs> but I appreciate the I'll, offer. I'll give it a go. I'll let you know. how. If you don't hear from me, it didn't work. And then uh, from that point on, it was just, I want to do it right away and finding the right place to do it. I, I tried to find different spots in the ship that made sense. and But uh, in the end, I just, I, I wanted to get it done. And so we were, it was the second night we were getting all ready. We were suited up for dinner. It was the formal night for the cruise. And once we were all ready to go, I just did it. No, and honestly, I blacked out. I kind of forget what I said, but I guess I gave a big speech, and it was it was really good. And then the rest of the trip kind of became a celebration. And, uh, yeah, it was it was great, and a lot of stress off me. They got the ring through security, and then when it came back through security, it was on her hand. And easier. now you know how stressful it is planning an engagement. You wait till you get into the wedding planning. Mm, that know. is a long process. I know. Just like a lease renewal, leave <laughs> enough time. I like that. I start working that into my business. I like that. Um, Yeah, so we've already kind of started looking at different options, whether we stay local or maybe we head down south or or what we do, because now we have, you know, down south has a bit extra extra meaning to it now, because that's where we got engaged. So what are you giggling at over there? Oh, just the double meaning in that. Don't worry. Uh, Oh, okay. I like that. I like that, too. Um, Yeah, so we're, you know, I'm preliminary. You know, we're hoping to get into a home this year and uh, Jenna's in busy season for, for work. So we'll probably end up kicking into full gear later in the summer for planning wise. But it is exciting, though. Well, I appreciate the invite to the wedding. It's accepted. Yes. And if you do find yourself in a sunny location, even better. Oh, yeah. Looking Good out chance. over Halifax today. You know, Halifax is a beautiful city in the winter. I could, I could take some heat right now. 
Oh, I could. It was amazing. I tell you, getting scorched with 29 degrees for a week was amazing, not to brag. Um, but look, and then walking down here, I was, I think my hair froze on the way down to the podcast <laughs> studio. Uh, but looking out here, good. I imagine getting, I'd like to get married on the wave now that I think about it. Nice little ceremony. Oh, right you can't, the you wave. can't climb up the wave though. They, the, the little sign tells you, the little sign everyone ignores. Just only kids can climb up. Little kids that could get injured more than an adult can yeah. climb up the wave. But uh, I'll repaint it if I do that. Well, congrats. Thank you. New chapter of life. Thank you. And we've had a lot. It feels like a long time since we've done a podcast. For context for the audience, we were last here in, uh, I think, second, third week of December, right? We had a bit of a false start, which we won't go into doing our our original plans for this podcast. We ended up having to reschedule. So it's now the end of January. We Mm. are thrilled to be back. A lot has happened. The the big event in the city that took over was the World Juniors. And I think that forms the topic for... The first 2023, Insane as the Crane. Insane as the Crane. Insane as the Crane. Insane as the Crane. Kind of insane like the Crane. Insane as the Crane. Insane as the Crane. Insane as the Crane. Yeah, World Juniors was a pretty obvious topic. I mean, it was kind of cool. We did talk about the World Juniors on one of our very first podcasts with uh, Ross Jefferson and uh, Amy Walsh. of years ago. I felt, I felt so long ago. This is episode number 10, by the way. Congratulations. Ten. Yeah, congrats. Man. 10, double digits. I like yeah. that. Um, but it's just cool. I remember talking to them about it. Now it finally, it's came and gone. And so I was uh, I was very much a part of it. Uh, my Me and my buddy, we had tickets to every game. We didn't go to every game. We made it to all the Canada games and, and the gold medal. And it was surreal experience. I, I Unmatched. It was just unbelievable. I'll, I'll never have an experience like that. Going to the gold medal game with my dad, too. And, and on our doorstep is even... I, I actually, for, for more context, I'm not going to give the name of the building away because you'll just have hordes and hordes of women lining up and you are mm-hmm. now an engaged man. But Alec lives about as close to the Scotiabank Center as you can get. Li- a literal stone's throw. Even a yeah. sneeze away, I would say. A sneeze. Just yeah. a little away they would feel it very close never had to park or drive down it was super easy um you know we would start our days pretty early to get down to the right the right bar i'd say we probably earned ourselves some ownership stake in the midtown at this point we spent a lot of hours there and and that stubborn goat and and whatnot but uh, downtown was awesome but the um insane as the crane topic we're going to cover is the ticket sales that went on for the world juniors now thankfully i i'm a, a mooseheads season ticket holder so we had first crack at our seats for the World Juniors, so we took that option. But those that didn't and kind of wait, not, not necessarily waited, but just didn't have that option, didn't, didn't take that option, um, were left to try and buy individual tickets the day of the game, which was crazy, or um, resell tickets. So there was a Facebook group for the World Junior Ticket Resell, and the amount of drama and intensity in that group every single day, people getting so angry. Probably worse than the, the Taylor Swift ticket fiasco. It was worse because everyone was freaking out about what people were reselling tickets for. And you were you were seeing some insane prices. The craziest price I saw was $25,000 for a ticket. Now everyone was freaking out. But I did find out that that guy who I knew through a mutual friend, he knew him. I don't know the guy. He just did it for fun. He was going to go to the game. That was my question was, did he sell or it's just, I should like to say, you know, you and I real estate for a living. 
what people always talk about, well, my property should be listed at this amount because that one down the street's yeah. listed at this amount. And we're like, well, what did it sell for? Yeah. The sales data is the only thing that matters. Yeah. My question to you is, did that sell at that price or was it more of a stunt slash let me just see if I can get that amount? More of a stunt. I think it was, I want to go to the game, but if someone is willing to pay $25,000, I will skip the game. No, I think anything in my life I would sell online for like 200 grand. Yeah. And, and just anything I was doing and you can, I'll plan to do it but if you want to take it off my hands for that amount my dog yeah oh you know okay. not not the house but uh, the dog the cars the wife my wife anything <laughs> yeah just you know make an offer whatever it is no and so it was more yeah it was more of a stunt a lot of people did that a lot of people would post in this group and say hey uh i want to go to this canada game but if you're willing to buy my ticket for five grand i'll i'll consider selling and it got very intense because a lot of people stopped putting a price up when they were offering it was just uh, send me an offer, send me an offer. And it just got out of hand. Imagine all the hundred dollar offers they got. Ooh. So um, Alec and I were at the Halifax Business Awards yesterday. Congratulations, by the way, to all the nominees. Yes, and winners. congratulations. It was wonderful Beautiful to, it was, it was so well put on and just great to see everybody, you know. The chamber always does really they good They do, events. don't they? Yeah. Positivity and, and good diversity in the nominees and winners. Yeah. It was it was really good. Uh, but while we were there, I was having, a, Alec and I having a back and forth with a guy on Kijiji. I was trying to sell a, mm-hmm. an, an old iPhone and the dude was trying to lowball, and I was I was going through some of the. I try to be smart and funny with these people. It does. It probably comes across as completely pathetic. We were uh, back and forth with this guy on Kijiji who was trying to completely lowball me, and it makes me think if you put World Junior tickets online, because we know that Facebook Marketplace and Kijiji is just a circus of lowballers. Mm. You imagine the hundreds and hundreds of messages they got with like, "Will you take fifty bucks?" It'd be hard to even sift through and see the real offers. You want to switch? You want to switch and trade for a Google Pixel? Yeah, that's not a bad deal. Because what some people would do when they were buying selling the tickets the people sending the offers they'd say looking to buy tickets for a night don't want to sell my organs i want to buy it at, at uh, market value and uh people were like well no like we're not like i'm not selling it for face value it's a team canada game i'm gonna make some money off of this is what, the way people were viewing it yeah and people got very very offended by that and it's just it's, it's just the way it goes in my opinion i mean um i saw one where a guy a guy bought a ticket or bought two tickets for five hundred dollars off a guy, so the guy the guy he bought it from originally obviously made money off of that because face value I think for the ticket at the time was seventy dollars or seventy five dollars per seat, and he sold for five hundred. And then this guy who sold who bought it for five turned around and sold for eight, and the original guy got very po'd about it. But then other people in the comments were like, "Well, no, I mean that that was his choice." He, oh, I agree. It's yeah, like flipping I, a house. I people agree. don't like that you bought the home for well, back pre-pandemic. You bought the home for 170 and you sold it for 300. Yeah. And you put 50 grand of work in. Sorry, the original owner could have done that and they chose not to. Exactly. So this guy saw an opportunity where he was able to buy them for a lower. He knew he could sell them for higher. And the original guy was all angry. And then people were like, "Well, no, you you also made money on this too. You're no better." And it, and it's not like it's a bad thing. It's 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 business. People, you know, guy might not have he might have zero interest in hockey. He was just looking to make a few bucks. And I'm 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 fully support that. Uh, you know, some of the tickets were tough. And then what would happen is as you got closer to the game, you know, we're half an hour before the game starts, people would say, Okay, all you scalpers, you know you haven't sold your tickets yet, sell them to me for face value. And the scalpers would rather just wait and go to the game then sell them for face value. But they would end up selling them. If it was a Canada game, you would end up selling your ticket. You know, maybe not for the 1500 you put it up for, but uh, I know for that gold medal game, there were single tickets that were going, like I, the average single ticket I saw was probably around 1500 two grand for, for a single ticket. Which is worth paying. And I've always said this about things like, 
I was a big Monty Python fan. All Brits are, the comedy show. And they had their final finale reunion show in London in 2014. And I flew over and paid an arm and a leg for the tickets. Mm. Paid a last minute inflated price for the flight. Had to get a, a uh, hotel for a few days in the center of London. I won't talk about money, but it was an incredibly expensive thing for a 90-minute mm. show. And I went halfway around the world to see it. But I love those guys. And it was the last time, and one of them has since died, it's the last time they're ever going to perform on stage together. Yeah. It was worth it. Yeah, it was worth, worth it. it. So if you want to pay $10,000 for a ticket to the final, the World Juniors, why shouldn't you? If you've got the resources to do that. I just think yeah. people, it's the delta between the list price and the activity that takes place to get to the inflated price that, that pisses people off. Yeah. And the question for you, Alec, because uh, I, I went to uh, Sweden, Czechia semifinal game. It's the only exposure I had to the World, World Juniors. Um, it was a great game. Let's talk about the venue's official tickets. I hear there was some annoyance from people at last minute yep. official tickets. Talk, talk about that. Yeah, so every game was marked as sold out. But at the day of the game, they would release a certain amount of tickets, usually about 20, give or take, and they were considered obstructed view seats. So they were seats they weren't going to sell off the hop because they weren't sure if they were going to be worth it because they're going to be obstructed by the cameras, like TSN's cameras and the scaffolding for the uh, broadcasters at the event. And, but they would release them the day of the game. However, they never were very clear, in my opinion, on what time they're going to release them at. Sometimes it was noon. Sometimes it was 4 p.m. What was the best way to get the tickets? Because you could either go line up at 7 o'clock in the morning at the box office, wait there all day only to not get a ticket, but a guy who calls in from the comfort of his home 30-something times does get a ticket. Or you're online refreshing the app and you buy a ticket that way. So there was no clear messaging on who had priority of all that. Were you wasting your time if you're on the website? Should you have been in person? Or was the phone call the best way to go? So I just thought there, I, I don't know. I, and I, you know what? The crazy thing is I don't know how they could actually do that better because 20 tickets to a gold medal game, Canada, it, it would go in a second. You'd have to be online, on the phone, in person the moment they drop or you're not getting them. But I just wasn't, I, I wasn't a fan of how that went down. And uh, it's unfortunate. This is the one unfortunate part about uh, scalpers and those who re ticket resells. And, you know, people will wait in line all day, diehard hockey fans um, to get tickets. And uh, then someone will call in and beat them to it somehow, call the, get the tickets, and then they'd sell them. They're only in it. Probably doesn't even live here. Doesn't even live here. Doesn't, they, they, you know, a lot of these people I've heard have, bots that are able to operate the, the website and just refresh on its own and buy the tickets when the time comes. So it's tough. I don't know. Those 20 tickets, it, I mean, I wish there was a better system in place to understand who got priority or do you prioritize certain groups like the IWK? Maybe? Yes, 100% you that, do. That's kind of my, where my brain went. Same with the Scotiabank uh, skybox there was closed down for a bit because they were boycotting the you know their, their involvement in the event because of Hockey Canada. And so I thought, you know, they would, it was empty, but the lights were off. They eventually did use it. I think it was a, a girls uh, hockey team uh, got to use it, which is great. Um, but it was empty for a while. And I think you could have been putting some, um, you know, underprivileged or at risk or, you know, groups that would not, not only have opportunities for a game like that. And the same with the obstructive view seats. Just to be in the building is amazing. So I, yeah, that was a bit of an odd, um, I'd love to ask, Ticket Atlantic about that and just see what their process was. But maybe we that's... had planned to just for the record, we had actually planned to have a representative from Events East here for um, this episode of the podcast. We have a very exciting guest coming in who, who's just arrived. Actually, we were going to have a dual show with with two interviews. Um, Events East received our questions and canceled the interview the day before, citing. Uh, 
a conflict in scheduling. And then we have tried multiple times to reschedule unsuccessfully. So yeah. uh, we did plan to get some official answers. The the events East invite remains open. Yep. And we believe that uh, they would love an opportunity to come on and discuss the very exciting events that are coming to Halifax and should come to Halifax yep. and also help us understand maybe some of the struggles we feel with being left out of certain events. So yep. uh, events East, we would love to have you on. We're not really too sure what happened with, with uh, the very confusing scheduling we try to do with you, but uh, please come on the show at some point. We'd love try to try and get you. them on before Shania gets here. Before, yeah, we'll have her Let's on instead. Um, so that was insane. And we're not going to get another tournament like that in Halifax, probably for another 20 years. So absolutely thrilled that, that we had it. Um, Somebody else that we're thrilled to have is our guest today, Tom Murphy from CBC, who's just walked in the building. So we should probably shake some hands, get him sat down. He yep. knows how to do this better than we do. Oh, so yes. he'll probably give us some lessons yeah, on talking into a mic. Sure. <laughs> All right, let's get it done. All right, we're here with Tom Murphy, uh, anchor with CBC News, as our uh, first guest of 2023, James. It is, a, it is the first guest of 2023. Yeah, one, one, of, one of 12, <laughs> a monthly podcast, <laughs> number one of 12. Yeah, Delighted definitely. to be here. Listen, I'm in a lot of studios, but I got to say, this has got to be the studio with the best view I've been in in a long time. I mean, very Halifax nice. Waterfront doesn't disappoint, does it? Oh, it doesn't. It. And, and just before you arrived, Tom, we were talking, even though it's winter, yeah. it's still a beautiful view. Yeah. So No icebergs or no ice out there to speak <laughs> of at all, which is really nice. No ferries either right now. <laughs> um, so we're thrilled, Tom, that, that uh, you're with us. So to give some background, Tom Murphy started his career at CBC in Charlottetown, working as both a radio and television reporter and backup host for eight years before moving to CBC Halifax in 99 as a current affairs reporter. Tom is now the anchor of CBC Nova Scotia News, the host of Land and Sea on CBC Television, and he's worked as the Maritimes correspondent for The National, where you can still see see some of his work today. Tom won an RTNDA award for TV short feature, Atlantic Journalism Awards, a Columbus International Film and Television Festival award, and received several Gemini and Canadian Screen Awards nominations. That is quite the list. <laughs> it's been a busy <laughs> few years, let's put it that way. Yeah, so we're going to step away from the formal intro and I'll mm -hmm. just expand on that question. Tell us how you, you got to where you are today. Well, it's funny. I grew up in a family that was seemed to be totally into uh, taking in news. I mean, my father used to every night religiously read the newspaper from front to back and uh, stopped work to listen to hourly newscasts and supper hour news and late night news. So we were around the news a lot. I have a twin brother, for those who may not know, in the business as well. He works for CBC Radio, host of Maritime Noon right now. The two of us were just in that world where we were constantly consuming journalism uh, at that sort of level. So it became kind of natural that we both went into journalism, went to Ryerson and studied there, broadcast journalism program, and then uh, landed at CBC, as you say, in Charlottetown, and just felt like, I can't believe I get paid to do this. This <laughs> is fantastic, you know? So really one of those really lucky kids growing up because in grade 10, I kind of knew what I wanted to do right off the bat, and it just uh, just worked out. And the rest is history. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I went on from there to do... Uh, yeah, current affairs work in Halifax eventually, a documentary work, which I still do some of that now. And then, of course, hosting uh, television, Land and Sea, and uh, the Supper Hour News here in, in Nova Scotia as well. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, you beat me. So I, I trained in broadcast journalism as well and went to the BBC for a short while and then packed up, moved to Canada and did something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> so still you, 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 you yeah. win. <laughs> it's kind of still in the broadcasting field, though, doing the podcast world. It's yeah. great. It's good to flex the muscle again. 
Oh, better Absolutely. it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, real estate's a different world. But um, no, we're thrilled you can be with us today. And we, we've got some questions. We're going to keep it very open. Sure. Uh, you're a guy who's had a very uh, enriched career. So we're, we're going to let you do the talking. Yeah. So, Let's kick it off. Yeah, I guess my first question would be, I mean, like, like James says, from where you started to where you are now, how have you seen journalism sort of change in the Maritimes over the years and sort of evolve in, into what it is now and, and how news is delivered? Yeah, I mean, it's become in many ways more complicated. It, it's, a, it's a very busy landscape right now because there are so many players in it and, and the field has changed a lot. When I think about it, when I started, appointment viewing or appointment listening was a thing. You know, you would turn on the television at a certain time of the day and get your newscast and get your news that way. Mm. And that has really been the, probably the biggest change because really for appointment viewing now, aside from those who will take in their news, the traditional audience that takes in their news that way, at 6 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock mm -hmm. at night, the only other really appointment viewing are sporting events because you have to be on there at a certain time to watch the game or the Oscars or something like that big mm -hmm. event. So that's been the challenge of the, the kind of the landscape that we live in now. We as broadcasters, we have to be everywhere, anywhere, all the time, so our audience can ac access us whenever they mm -hmm. want. So we have to be on all those platforms. Yeah. You know, the podcast, what we're doing right now, uh, that's the world that CBC is in. Every large media company is. So social media, you know, and, and just to make it a little more complicated, the platforms that you think you have to be on all the time and be concentrating on, maybe it's Facebook or TikTok or whatever, they change. Yeah. And the audience goes someplace else. You have to chase them. You have to be there where they are. So that is a dynamic, probably the biggest change that we've seen in the industry over the last uh, you know, 20, 20 years or so. Yeah, that was, that was sort of leading into my next question was about the effect that social media has on the way news is delivered now because there's so many opinions out there. Mm -hmm. And you know, when, when you're delivering the news, you deliver the news for you know, what the facts are that you have in front of you and everyone is left to perceive it how they want. Mm -hmm. Then social media takes it and turns it into a web of different ideas, different conspiracies or whatever. And then sometimes people don't know what to believe. Mm -hmm. And does that, have you noticed any, anything that, that affecting the way you deliver the news, knowing that you're going you're gonna to deliver a story or, or some sort of segment, but you know it's probably going to be picked apart? and it gets on Reddit. Like, and, and this is true. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, yeah. Reddit is, is just a circus mm -hmm. of, of, of unmoderated opinion. And, and when we were children, we would watch BBC News in the UK and, you know, we, we would... Um, take the anchor's words as absolute and mm -hmm. as fact. Mm -hmm. I, and maybe there was some chit chat in the pub or in the, the water cooler in work, but we just now live in this world where everything that's delivered by, as I see it, authority media is, is just torn to pieces. Mm -hmm. So uh, as Alex said, you know, is it a threat? It's, it's so true. It's, it's a challenge that all media outlets face right now for sure. Uh, you know, I suppose the good thing about that is that our stuff, is broadcast and it is sent out in all different areas, but you really do have to be careful about what does happen to that content down the line when it gets repeated or, or maybe gets altered, which is sometimes happens to be the case. So it's it is a super big challenge that that we're facing in the industry um, right now. I think it, it underscores the importance of of being a discerning audience out there and understanding the source of the material, where it is coming from, and. You know, I think we have to, we're battling the, the world of half-truths all the time. And I, I think it's incumbent on, like, broadcasters and journalists and, and newspapers and all, all levels of journalism to be able to make sure that they are doing everything they can to make sure that it's fact-based journalism that you're doing because there's a plethora of, 
opinion and conspiracy mm -hmm. out there online that hopefully when people see it's coming from our broadcast label or another established broadcast medium, they know that it's, you can trust it, that it is true. So it's absolutely, you, you, you do spend a considerable amount of time sort of looking over your back, trying to make sure that uh, you're, you, what's being said about the product that you're putting out, the journalism that you're putting out, is being fairly represented. And in the end, you have to trust that people will, are discerning enough that they will understand and separate fact from fiction. I think we can we can tell. Oh, yeah. We know. Are you the same as me there, Alec? You know when a conspiracy is kicking off somewhere, and you just kind of back off. Definitely. Like even yeah. and like you were saying, how you know CBC has to adapt, other news outlets adapt to the social media, and like creating a TikTok account if they mm -hmm. have to, or 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 having Twitter. I I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, so I get mm -hmm. a, I get a lot of happenings and news on Twitter, but I don't trust it really unless it comes from a CBC account or or another news outlet account, a verified account. I don't really pay attention to all the other stuff that's that's going on on Twitter and stuff like that. So, but it is cool how they ha it, it when I look at where news is coming, I remember when I even when I was a kid, my parents, we would always watch the news at mm -hmm. nighttime. It was 6, 7 o'clock. Sure. And now it's I can pull up TikTok and there's a CBC news story. And right after that there's a video of someone dancing. So it's like it's it's crazy <laughs> like how 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 much has changed. Yeah. And hopefully not the that. same person. Not yeah, the same person. Yeah. Different well, your evening sometimes anchor. yeah, they do have them yeah. they do get the anchors and the, the correspondents doing that. But sure. It's, it's funny. But think about how it's changed. I mean, it's great because that, that media landscape that we're talking about, it gives you guys a platform. Here you are with a podcast here. What's the claim? Biggest podcast uh, east of Montreal. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, yeah, that's the one. Uh, maybe biggest budget. I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> but but the fact is, you you guys are players in that field now. You know, think yeah. about it. 15 years ago, that would never happen. Like, yeah. oh, exactly. You you yeah. try yeah. to fight your way onto radio airwaves someplace. Good luck with that. It was yeah. you know, closed door lots of times. But the one thing about the media landscape now is there is this diversity of content out there. Your podcast and the challenges, of course, tens of thousands of other podcasts out there as well. Yeah, and so. It's difficult to make the same dent on on the audience, uh, but there's a lot more people making those dents, uh, making leaving that impression on the audience, and maybe giving them a voice that they might not have had before. So, yeah. I really think that is a very positive part of what's changed in the media landscape for sure. And you know, you've got both sides of it. You want more people for the diversity. Now that does mm -hmm. risk opinions across the scale and maybe truth and fact gets lost among that i think we look at how easy it can be i know the word influencer is thrown around i mm -hmm. personally don't like that word there's a lot of good things coming out of that movement as well we tend to focus very much on the negative we, we look at what's happening in the u.s and and some trust issues between people and the media which i i, I don't think are justified um but a lot of good is coming out of giving anybody with an iphone an opportunity to, to find a platform too. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, I mean, on the television side of things, it's changed the way we cover things because user-generated content is massive in newscasts now. We have cameras and we're out pointing them at lots of interesting things during the day as much as we can, but we could never compete with a number of people with a cell phone out there who might right. capture reality in the moment. Yeah. You know, of course, you work to verify the, 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 the validity of that video content, but we have more eyes on the world now than we've ever had given the technology that we have which is, as we we're saying, a very positive thing. Flip side of that, of course, is the world we live in now, the way the algorithms are set or the way you get streamed stuff, you, it can be, you can be living in an echo chamber too because you can be hearing and reading the stuff you want to see or hear and read, and that keeps getting fed to you. The importance is, 
and I think one thing that we're sort of on the verge of losing to some degree is like the curated newscast where someone says, I think you should be looking at all these different things in the span right. of an hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. And does that give you a more broader view uh, of the world that's out there rather than you just going on Facebook and continually getting the same kind of content that you yeah. always get? So that is something that's obviously a bit troubling too as well because it's diversity of opinion. You want to make sure that's the great thing about where we're living in the age we're living in right now. You want to just make sure that you're continuing to get lots of that. And that leads us well to the next point. We talk about um, geographical diversity. So in, in your work with the national, uh, you, so you've, you've got the local work you're doing, but then you're also slotting into the national Canadian news agenda. Mm-hmm. Do you feel the Maritimes has enough of a place and enough of a focus it, to the average Canadian who doesn't live here? So where do we fit into the national? I know you can talk from um, a CBC perspective. Where do we fit into the nation, national news agenda? Uh, do you think we get enough focus? It's probably going to be, you're going to say we want more. I can see from the, the look you're giving me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we have some great stuff. Sure We've had know. some tragedies. We've also had some great stuff come out of this province. Where do you think we fit nationally? Yeah, I mean, that's always a challenge because although I, I just think this is the center of the universe here in the Maritimes, I just it's a fantastic place. As we all know, we live here and we love it. Uh, and so you have to try and push to get that onto a national audience lots of times. And I'd love to see more stuff, even even more. It would be it would be fantastic. Um, but I do think that this region does get on the nas- in the national news cycle uh, quite a little bit. If you think about it, all the national broadcasters, the main broadcasters in this country, like Globe and Mail, they all have people, they have bodies here working every day doing journalism in this region. And that material is is getting out there and we we see it. Um, I dare say there's probably more of that stuff making its way to the national audience now than it was even 10 or 15 years ago. So yeah, I think we, we I think increasingly people are looking at this end of the country pandemic, post-pandemic, as, why there's something interesting happening down in that part of the country. I mean, you guys are, you know, the real estate world, it's happened, we're seeing a shift in real estate, and but people are kind of discovering us again a little bit. So I think you'll probably see even more of that regional content from here on a national broadcaster or a national newspaper or yep. online uh, going forward, for sure. And you think some of that will be from choice? I know when news stories of a certain gravity happen here, they mm-hmm. have their natural place in in the news agenda nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of electing to cover things in Atlantic Canada, do you think there there's going to be more of that moving forward, or is there enough of it right now? I think there. I, I hope there's more of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we keep pushing for. Uh, you know, we're one part of a network, and, and we're the we're the regional, we're the Maritimes um, component of of that. So we're always pushing to get our stuff um, out there to a wider audience, a national audience and beyond. So I think there will be more of that. I think, I just think that's a natural thing as our population grows, as we become more interesting. And and you look, you know, journalists are always looking for reasons why this kind of story goes well, what would play well in the, in the country right now. Like there are solutions to some issues like, you know, we're doing well with energy. We're doing, there's lots of things in this part of the world that the rest of the country can learn about as well. Those, 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> those stories find a home on a, on a national scale. And so I think you'll continue to see more of that. So ask a very serious question here mm. next, Tom. And it's a blunt one. What is the biggest threat to the integrity of journalism today? I, I would say that it's disinformation. Uh, different from misinformation. You know, misinformation implies that maybe you were mistaken or you just didn't have the full picture or you made an error in sort of passing along information. But disinformation is something purposeful. You know, there are these increasing attempts to literally 
pass a falsehood off as a truth to help your narrative, to rewrite history if you have to, to make it so that it fits the story that you want to tell, the, whatever gain you're trying to make. We're seeing this in politics, certainly in the States and in other parts of the world. It's, it's always been a component of, of that kind of you know, thing of society, but I think we're seeing it more and more and to a degree that it's actually quite troubling. And you know, I always tell people, you know, if you're consuming media, try to consume as many media sources as you can so you can make up your own mind. Um, don't rely on just one network or one publication because sometimes, and depending which publication you're reading, they can have a very narrow focus. And a lot of times it can be built on disinformation. So I think you really have to scan and, and scrutinize the source of where that information is coming. And that's probably the biggest challenge that we're facing in journalism right now, which is making sure that people understand and have, that you have credibility and what it is, that information that you're passing along to people is actually factual and true. It's a, it's a very good point. And I think years ago, if you wanted to call something uh, the media had reported as false, you had to have a reason. But mm -hmm. the way I see it these days, people just say, oh, it's false, it's fake news. Mm -hmm. And that now, for some reason, in itself is the justification. Yeah, and that moniker, many times, it's is crazy. Probably, probably not even true. The, the, to, to be able to say that is fake news. Well... If you look at the source where that news is coming from, if you and if you analyze that in a meaningful way, you will, you know, to most average people, they would look at it and say, "Actually, that's not fake. That's that's actually true. What's being said there." But so often, that is a that is a label that's thrown out there, to I think the detriment of a whole host of things. Not the least of which to say, you know, we need to have an informed citizenry to have not to get too serious here, an informed citizenry to be able to have a true democracy. We're safe democracy. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it, we're at that sort of thin edge of the wedge, I think. I just think we're going to see more and more of it, which makes having credible sources of information, quality journalism, all the more important going forward. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, and keeping on the, on the serious note, um, there are a lot of stories that come out of Nova Scotia that uh, are great and uplifting. And mm. then the, 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 once in a while comes along a story that, that goes nationally or internationally that's um, not very good and something that the whole world kind of grasps to, onto. And uh, speaking specifically, you know, April 2020, you mm -hmm. know, you wake up one morning and uh, I think it was a Sunday, a regular Sunday, you would think it would be. And all of a sudden, one of the worst tragedies in Nova Scotia's history is breaking uh, right before your eyes and it's evolving and it's unlike anything we've ever seen before. And suddenly the world is watching us, world is watching CBC and the news outlets and wondering what is going on mm -hmm. and looking for answers. I guess just can you speak to your experience, what that day was like? I know that was just, I mean, just to think about that morning right now is bone chilling, really. Yeah. It's just uh, what a terrible events unfolding. I remember I was in my kitchen and it was, it was a Sunday morning. And I remember it was a sunny day and I'm thinking, what am I going to do today? I just happened to check Twitter and something seems to be unfolding. And then you realize, wait, this guy is on his way to Halifax. I can yeah. tell by the tweets. And... But there wasn't a lot of information. In right. fact, there wasn't very much information at all beyond that. But I sort of immediately thought, okay, I got to get to the newsroom because something's happening here. Yeah. This is and and you go to the newsroom and you're trying to find the answers. You're trying to understand what's happening that day. Why is it unfold? What's unfolding? Why is it unfolding the way it is? And I just remember a very busy newsroom. People coming in from their Sunday mornings off and realizing this is a big story. We have to start working on this. And we had we had crews out. And just the confusion that we're trying to sort through and 
being very careful about what it is we tell the public, but not really having a lot of information yeah. from the RCMP to be able to pass along. Just a really trying day. And then, of course, you realize, and I, it kind of for me, it was kind of at the end of the day, I was doing a, a live hit into the national, the 10 o'clock news, and I remember um, Ian Hanneman saying, the host was asking about what, what was this day, what did this day mean, what do you think this day means in Nova Scotia, something to that effect. And the only thing I could think of was, this day seems to mark uh, a seem a, a, like a loss of innocence for Nova Scotia mm-hmm. in some ways. And I really think that was sort of how people were, that's how I was feeling that day, yeah. for sure, that something's changed in this province, like this is just not us. Yeah. And um, yeah, that is that is one of those days I'll never forget in journalism, for sure. Yeah, I, f- I feel like it'd be a difficult, difficult day for news outlets where we weren't getting much information. Mm-hmm. So our news outlets wanted to give us the information, but on the flip side, they still had to verify what they were getting. Sure. And we and wanted so, them to give it to us. And we wanted mm-hmm. to The first thing we do yeah. is it, let's put the news on. Yeah. yeah. And That's you right know it. as much as we do, mm-hmm. we are actually turning to the journalists to almost... Re- rub the crystal ball and give us the information that you also don't have and yeah. that's when like do you see your job in in when something of that gravity unfolds do you see your job as a service to the citizens of the maritimes to stop and go to work and start reporting is there a switch i think it's, that a, flicks that I think it's just a natural instinct for a yeah. journalist to be able to say this is a big story we i have to be on this i need to yeah. be on this and to your earlier point you know the the lack of information we were telling a lot of people we don't know, right? We really know this is what we know, this is what we don't know. And we were sort of using that language to try and at least let the audience know, listen, we, we're, no, we're not on the inside here in any way. We're telling you everything we know. Because in a moment like that, people just want you to kind of hold them by the hand, to kind of walk them through it yeah. as best you can. And that was that kind of story for journalists here in Nova Scotia for sure. Because let's face it, we all knew people in the Wentworth Valley. Yeah, we all knew people up in that part of the, in Portapik, or you know, in that neighborhood in the Truro area, and so on. So, uh, it, that was a day where, as a journalist, you're really just trying to tell people as best you can what you know and what you don't know is happening. Yeah, and that's wow. yeah, a lot of it. It's that, that's what it was like that day. I remember just feeling so hopeless, clueless, and just mm. hoping to get answers along the way and piece it together as the day days went on because I felt like still looking for answers, right? So yeah. that was definitely a very, like you described it perfectly, just to think about that day was bone chilling. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, um, my fiance's family uh, lives that way and we were there for a month during the pandemic and we left um, on my birthday to go back home and stay in Halifax on April 13th and then it was six days later. And so we, we were on that route. We, we drove that yeah. route to get home. So our brains, when we, we woke up one morning, downtown Halifax, and I, again, just Twitter, mm-hmm. I was like, what's going on? I remember, I remember texting her brother and saying, Are you guys near this? And then it all just blew up from yeah. there. And we were just a mad panic, but yeah, that was a bone chilling. And everyone wonders, what would I do in that situation? Yeah. You know, if, and so, yeah, it's, it's just one of those points in our history you know, it's such an ugly day, yeah. like two days in Nova Scotia history. And um, yeah, but as a journalist, you you want to be telling that story and telling it as best as you can yeah. at, at that time. Definitely. And you probably learn a lifetimes more about journalism in two days. Absolutely. Because it all it's all coming at you so quickly. And, you know, you are, you're trying to be informative and you're trying to be the person who is able to guide the audience through what is happening in that day. But it's testing all sorts of skills. I mean, I know we had people coming into the station that day who were doing jobs like tech jobs and things like that they had never done before because we just had to get 
radio on the air and get mm. get out, get on television and do everything we could. It's all hands on deck, um, and but you're still working in that there was a vacuum of information. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so it's just a really trying situation. And clearly, you know, a landmark moment in your career. What is the biggest single story you've ever covered? And and I'm sure every journalist has the the kind of hall of fame. Uh, but what is the one? If, and we're going to ask you to just choose one. What is the yeah. story that when when you leave the industry yeah. and you put your feet up, I hope you have a long and happy retirement at some point, <laughs> and someone asks you what you did, you will use that story to oh, tell them what you did. That's such a tough question because big stories, they can be big for different reasons. But I remember... Um, I was sent to uh, Cape Canaveral to to cover the Americans' return to space. This was in 2006, so this is a discovery going up. Post the Columbia accident, exactly. right? Exactly. Okay. And it was a very emotional time in American space travel, for sure, uh, and delayed launch after delayed launch. And finally, on July 4th, Independence Day in the United States, the shuttle goes up, and large because I had never been at a media event that had that many accredited media. There were 700 television crews and newspaper outlets. Under a tent in Cape Canaveral. Sitting there looking (laughs) at the launch pad. And when it went up and your chest is rumbling and you know the Americans are going back into space and what what that meant for the sort of the whole psychology of the country, uh, that was a special moment for sure. Uh, Big because of the scale of of the thing. Quickly, biggest interview I ever did was uh, Sir Paul McCartney. So just, oh, prior, wow. just prior to his concert here in Halifax, uh, he had uh, he was practicing at a at a facility in the south of London, and we did what we call a double ender with him, where he's on a camera and I'm on a camera, and we're just talking back and forth. But the most nervous I ever was for an interview really? because I was talking to him shortly after the death of Michael Jackson. And, of course, there was the controversy yeah. between the Beatles and Michael Jackson because Michael Jackson owned the songbook for the Beatles, and it mm-hmm. was very controversial. And uh, the, my staff is saying, well, you've got to ask him about Michael Jackson. you got to get the death of You have to ask him about Michael And this publicist was saying, no, 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 no. You cannot, under no circumstances do you talk to him about Michael Jackson. And so I paced the studio for 45 minutes before in a cold sweat, going, how am I going to do this? Ask and it last. Yeah. It <laughs> well, I didn't, but sir, I asked it partway through the interview, something along the lines of, sir, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about, uh, he was such a gentleman. Yeah. And it was just a good little lesson about how, you know, sometimes people will tell you you can't talk about something or you can't ask somebody something, but maybe you should. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a, that was a memorable one as well. But honestly... I love the last story you did, I, and that's the best way that it can be. Is if you if you just like the last story you did, whatever that last story <laughs> yeah. is, it means you're still enjoying it. So that's uh, I, there's so many. Just uh, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun telling the stories for sure. Well, you made me think of one more question. Okay. I'm incredibly envious of your just sit down with Sir Paul, uh, <laughs> who, who haven't you interviewed that you would that's a good one. you would run at you'd literally he's in Toronto. You're gonna run oh to interview gosh. she or he. Yeah, you know what? He's he's passed away now, but um, Guy Lafleur would be. I would. I was. You know, some people say he's not a. He wouldn't be a great interview, um, but he was such a such a big figure in my life growing up. Um, yeah, I think. I'm, I'm maybe it's Guy Lafleur. I don't know. I'm. I'm. That's a. T- that's a really good question. I'm pleased you're struggling. You've kind of stymied me here. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a. That's a good one. That's, that's a, a legend. Yeah. Well, I think this has been very insightful. Yeah, this has terrific. been great. It's been a lot and of fun. Yeah. yeah, we you know on this podcast we like to give our, our typical thing is a voice 
to the people that don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. You have a huge voice, but but it's interesting, your job as a broadcaster is to give a voice to the people that don't have them. Mm-hmm. Very much. So this interview for us has just been a great segue into that. So yeah. thank you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful. Thank you. And listen, all the best of luck with the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, thank you to Tom Murphy of CBC for coming on the podcast as our first guest of 2023. And I got to say, that was a wicked interview. I don't think we could have asked for a better, more efficient um, overall interview for the start of the year. A lot of great uh, insight from him regarding journalism and some good questions there and uh, definitely a guy that we could have back on at some point. Yeah, I I just see journalists as the the middle of the bicycle wheel. Like, they are the link the people have to politicians, mm. to stories oh, that, that we'll sense. never get close to. So having someone like that on the podcast was so valuable. And and he's a very, very busy man and has his obligations to CBC. So very grateful that he gave up the time to join us. Yep, that was, that was great. Um, so now we'll move forward into our segments. Um, we, you know, we have our couple segments we always finish off with. However, uh, this one here, New Kids on the Block. We actually don't have one to mention because what we try and do is we try and mention local new businesses and that's not knocking any chains or big boxes that open up there's a new starbucks there's a new starbucks wow yeah. or mcdonald's is expanding or whatever right it just which is great it's it's awesome to see but we would rather give the spotlight um to our 100 listeners or whatever give this <laughs> give the spotlight to a local business to a new business one that's trying to grow which we've done uh, at the start um however we, we couldn't nail down any for today so what we do want to say is those that are listening if you know of a business that you want us to mention on the podcast or if you're the owner an employee or or what whatever of a new business in halifax or nova scotia in general please let us know we would be happy to mention about it on the podcast and we could put a little plug in well, we can talk about where the business is at, what your goal is, and, and what your what your target audience is and whatnot. We can say whatever, almost whatever you want. Um, you just want to play the jingle, don't you? I want to play the jingle. Just to sing it. I know. Uh, what, what was It was uh, New Kids on the Block, right? Yeah. Do you want to hear it? What a let, dumb let, thing for me to say. Of course it was New Kids on the Block. Let, let, let's, let's play it. You like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's I, good. I, I miss that. I miss hearing that. Well, so, how yeah. can people get hold of us? Let us know. Um, we have an uh, Instagram handle. I think it's called the Matter of Facts, at Matter of Facts Podcast. Um, you can also look me up on Instagram, uh, at Alec Cranston, and you'll see some. At Pretty Boy, Pretty Boy 97. Pretty Boy 9769. Yeah. No, you'll find me on there, and uh, I have some posts about the podcast that you can you can find our account. You can DM me uh, on there. You can DM the the podcast account. We also have an email, right? Halifaxpodcast at gmail.com. Well, we have the OnlyFans. OnlyFans, yes. OF. That's that's a subscri- subscription for that one, though. Yeah. Um, and so, our email address, which you read out, I think, didn't you? Um, uh, is it Halifax Podcast? Halifax Podcast, Halifax Halifax podcast, podcast at, gmail.com. at gmail.com. We still only Very have generic. two emails in the... I, th- I think there's a third one, actually, which was spam. Someone trying to trying to sell me the some... The second one was Gmail itself saying, are you still using this Are you account? still using it? Yeah. 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 Who I mean, is this new sign some, some email in there trying to sell me uh, plastic forming material from China. Oh, I bought that. So, yeah. Oh, you did do that. Yeah, I got okay. some of that. It's actually pretty good. Um, we do have a Reddit yeah. roundup. We do have the Reddit roundup still. So, James, I will let if New Kids of the Block, someone reach out. We'd love to have you on, talk to you about your business. Take it away, Mr. Collins. Reddit roundup. Haligonians losing their minds over minor inconveniences. So, this month, we are discussing something on Reddit that never gets any attention. Driving. Pretty much 
In fact, they should just re rename the Halifax subreddit Halifax Driving so, or, or Halifax Real Estate Prices. Anyway, this month's comes uh, courtesy of Benji Frenzy. <laughs> it's such a, the Reddit names, Benji, Benji Frenzy. Frenzy. And the title is New Bus Driver with Some Observations. First of all, Benji Frenzy, I hope everything's going well. Hey guys, I'm a new bus driver with Halifax Transit. Just wanted to share a few observations that I've made in my short time so far. First of all, I want to say that driving a bus is not easy. It's a long, heavy, and slow vehicle, and the turning wheels are six feet behind you when driving. There are times when we're not physically able to make turns at intersections because cars may be in the opposite lane on the other side, and we need to take some of that lane to complete the turn. So if you're behind a bus and it has a and it has a green but isn't turning, that could be why. You also wouldn't believe how much you get cut off by other cars, by them darting out in front of you from a driveway, or side streets, or cars racing to get in front of you when two, lane, two lanes come to one. Sorry, this does finish at some point. This is incredibly dangerous for both vehicles. If I need to slam on the brakes to prevent a collision, I could injure my passengers. Please be patient. I would also like to say thank you very much to the drivers who let us in and give us space. It really makes a huge difference and makes my job much easier. I really appreciate it when you guys do that. I love the job so far. That's good to hear. And can't All wait right. to see some of you on my route. So, okay, that's, that's what he posted. The backlash from there mainly turned into a debate about buses being extremely heavy-handed when signaling to get back into traffic. This whole debate blew up, which is very, very rare for Reddit. And give you some comments from this fish fingers pond <laughs> the funny we should just actually have a segment that just reads out reddit usernames oh, fish finger pond said this pisses me off so much how and more importantly where am i supposed to move if i'm literally beside your bus almost every bus driver does this and it's so dangerous question, i understand if i'm behind you but if i'm almost looking at the driver they do this i get so mad and here they're talking about the left turn to get back into traffic so to give us the facts we just had a chat with tom murphy about the importance of facts Mr. Cranston, I'm going to quiz you for a second. Ooh. What is the yield to transit bus rule? It's, what, what, what does it require you to do and when? Uh, so when they're re-entering traffic from the bus lane, you have to, and if they have, you have to yield to them. You don't, I don't think you have to yield to them when they're just, then they're just changing lanes. You just have to do it when they're re-entering traffic from that specific bus lane. Alec, please go and clone yourself because your answer, and, and just to give context here, that was not anything I shared with Alec before. I have the provincial, the actual bylaw up on He's my screen, and you are 100% correct. Thank you. Thank you. So I know my buses. The, 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 the law in the act requires a driver to yield to a bus that is signaling left to re-enter the flow of traffic. Only. Yeah. So that would be from a bus lane into a regular lane, yeah. or it would be from a bus stop back into traffic. Yep. You do not have to yield to the bus if it is simply changing lanes. Yep. But lots of people think that you need to. If you fail to do this, fines can range from 167 to $340. First of all, who set the 167? You imagine the meeting. Number? Um, well, we were going to do 165, and then you know, Betty in seat number five. It goes, probably ah. took three board meetings. It did. It should be 170. Well, lunches. let's meet in the middle. 167. So so that is the rule that you do not have to yield unless it's really just re-entering the flow of traffic. But many people believe the drivers use their left-turning power and the confusion around that mm. to bully drivers. I'll be honest, I've never been in a scenario where I've seen a bus try to just do a lane change and use that. And if they do, I just zoom up. I shouldn't say that. But I do because I'm like, no, you can't, you're just trying to change lanes. But I will say the reason I know that rule 
is because uh, I live at the very tail end of Godigan Street. I don't even know if you can see. It's, it's technically Godigan Street, um, but it's the tail end right where Brunswick intersects. Um, I think it's Rainy Drive as well. Rainy Drive, where it intersects Rainy Drive. And uh, down Godigan is a whole bus lane and then, and then one lane for the cars. And there's a lot of bus routes that go down there. So, And I take that route consistently to go to the Halifax Forum for hockey and to go down there and hit the McDonald Bridge to go over to Dartmouth. Um, so I get in those situations all the time with the bus. And I'm usually the good guy. I usually let them let them come well, out. Well, that's my argument. It's, it's better to just let them in. But give me a wave, though. I like when I get a nice little wave from the bus driver. And they're like, like I can tell they're they're very pleased. Like, wow, that's a good guy right there. Let that's, me in. That's Cranston. That's, that's that Cranston guy driving the Volkswagen. He let me in. He always lets me in. We like Todd, that Todd's dad was really good. Yeah. And so is Alec. Yeah, He exactly. runs in the family. Respect it's, it's, for bus drivers. Generations of bus driver respect. Now, I mean... I wasn't. I mean, I've I've been respectful of bus drivers in my adult age, but I'm gonna do a quick shout out uh, to those friends of mine and just app and members of the school special bus that we took um, when we went to Citadel High. There was this one specific bus. This was just called the school special because it combined several routes and just went by Citadel and then just went and dropped all these people off. And it would get packed. I'm not going off on a tangent. It's not really our topic. But I wanted to bring it up because I want to give a shout out to everyone that's ever been on the school. All things buses. All things buses. Bus boys as well, restaurant, anything. Anything to do with buses. And I haven't been on a bus. I haven't been on a bus in so long. Because when we were going then, it was like you pulled the the yellow thing to ding, ding, ding. We want to stop, next stop. But with so many high school students on the bus... Someone for, pulled it all the time for all a joke. The time. And the bus would stop and the doors would open and nobody Every would get time. Off. And we would be laughing and stuff. And it felt, you know, I was like, oh, geez. And then one time they just they pulled over on Quimple Road and said, everybody out. He kicked everybody off the bus. Oh, I had never seen some people so angry, right? And we're there like laughing. We're well, like, just one of you spoiled it for everyone. Oh, man. But uh, that was the last time I wasn't, I, I, I will admit, I was never one to pull the thing. I'm always egging people on to pull the pull the lever or whatever to get the bus to stop. But oh, I, you're like me. I never did it. I egged everyone else on. I was the kid who was like, go on, go on, kick him in the shit. I'm the same the way. Pull, pull the chair out when he sits down. And one of my friends once, his name was Alan, said to me, why don't you for once do this? And I was like, oh, no, I'm a wimp. So, yeah, no, yeah, I, was, I would always be the one the moment we got on the bus say hey uh, why don't you give that a little pull there that could be hilarious right or whatever or it'd be like a, I hope you sounded like that a hilarious it'd be like so hilarious a hilar. like it'd be like a new kid right or like a new on the block he has he, a new kid on the block boom we should have talked about him but, or her and they'd never taken the school special before and he'd be like hey listen it's a rite of passage if you're new to the school special you gotta do this thing here you wouldn't do it right away because if you did it too close to Citadel he just let everybody off right then. So you wanted to make him go a little bit further. I feel terrible and I say it because now I'm very respectful of bus drivers when they, you know, adhere to what when they're supposed to merge in, when they're coming back into a lane. Uh, and I'm also very respectful to not use their lane, right? Like, you know, it and then well, oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was, I, I, I don't know why I went on that tangent. I just, I told myself I wanted to mention the school special because there's guys listening to this and girls that have been on that bus that will remember the, the crazy days of the school special. It was like, no matter what happened at school that day, exams, uh, shitty classes you were in. Sorry, Jomo. And whatever happened, you knew end of the day, you were going to hop on that school special with like however many people they could pack on that bus sitting and standing. And it was going to be a riot the whole oh, way. The home. hormones in that thing must have fallen to pieces. Oh, the, the was it hot? Was it hot? I'll tell you why this leads us into our next Reddit comment. Was, was it warm on the school special? Um, I'd say so. I mean, it all depend on, on the season. I found it, in the winter, you didn't notice because there were so many people you almost wanted the, the, the heat in the summer. So when you kind of got towards, um, well, I guess school ends in June. So the month of like May, June, if it was hot, it'd be very scorching on that bus and you'd be, you'd be sweating. 
and just the different aromas going around that bus. Oh, gosh. Always the kid that doesn't know oh, what a shower it, is. I, I was in school with a guy. I won't say his name. We, we sat him down one day and said, you know, you have to start washing under those arms of yours. Oh, yeah. It, I, I would compare the smell of that bus to, I'm looking at the Halifax, Halifax Pier right now, and if I were to stick my head underneath that wharf, and then maybe also have two st- like old rotten fish in my hands and wave them at the same time. That might be half the stench that was that bus. And there probably were crabs on the school special, but not <laughs> not the type you'd find under the uh, <laughs> under the pier there. Oh, they were probably crawling around, you know. <laughs> and your point, uh, you know, this leads us the conditions on buses very well into the next comment. Um, this this Reddit thread took a bit of a tangent. Clicker six 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 said, "My bus pet peeve is when the temperatures around thirty degrees in the winter on the bus." Passengers addressed for winter, not Cuba. And then Crazy Islander, it's actually a pretty um, a pretty theme-driven name, said Man? there's no actual setting for heat or AC if it works beyond on or off. Okay. And the next respond, response back from Clicker666 was, you're kidding, really? That just seems so basic. Even my Dodge Neons back in the day had that. So it oh. seems the buses just kind of have uh, the sun or the Arctic. Yeah. Choose, no, your, choose your climate. Choose your character. There's no in between. And then, of course, as being Reddit, somebody came in. This was a Go Touch Grass Please said, I'm excited not- that we <laughs> now have multiple bus experts in this subreddit. Multiple buses. Public transit is the future. So, when's the last time you were on a bus? When last time I was on a bus? Wow. Oh. Last time I was on a bus was. Hell, over 10 years ago. It would have been when we wow. lived in Dartmouth before we moved to Ontario. I took the bus because we only had one car. You went from Dartmouth to Ontario to Bedford? I moved from... Do you want to know where I've lived in my life? I went from Wales to the United States. You lived in a whale. To, in a, yeah, that's right. To, to Wales to England. Mm-hmm. To Dartmouth to London, Ontario to Dartmouth to Bedford. Wow. I Halifax. That's it. Different parts. And I lived in 10 homes in nine years as well. Literally, we lived in 10 homes in nine years and we've been in our current for eight. So we're going to get 10 years out of one. Nice. Yeah. So this thread continued evolving and evolving. Uh, I'm going to mention very, very quickly Mm. that this like inside joke kicked off and I thought it was absolutely hilarious. So not a bus driver came in. That's the Reddit name and said, welcome to the job. Who is your trainer? Things will get easy for you, easier for you as we get into the spring. But before that, they'll get a lot harder when the snow and ice come. And then the original, uh, the OP came in, said, Adam, he's good. So then not a bus driver came back and said, I don't think I've met him. At least it's not Chris. I like the guy, but the most positive thing about having him as a trainer is that you will never, ever have a passenger worse than him when you are on your own. So I think somewhere <laughs> in the bowels of, of, of uh, Halifax <laughs> Transit, there's just some dick trainer. Dick trainer. Man, I, I got I to gotta know about the, the Metro Transit or Halifax Transit lore and what goes on behind the scenes. That I feel like it's its own world. What happens on the bus stays, stays on, on the, the bus, bus. Stays in the bus terminal. And, uh, oh, man, I'd love to know. I feel like they could, they could have their own little TV show of what kind of goes goes on in there. And you know, It's probably a good sitcom. If we look at sitcoms. They they make them out of the strangest things these days because they're running out of ideas. A, a bus sitcom. Copyright, we call it. We're doing it. That'd be good. Nobody can steal that. I mean, a, a lot of fun. Like you have a couple, you know, similar to, uh, you know, what I compare it to maybe is like, uh, if you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine, 
Uh, on and off. Okay. Like similar, like where it's like there's a couple. Just like the heat in a transit bus on or off. There's a couple, hey, couple main guys. And then, you know, it's like the morning starts and all the bus drivers come in and check in. There's all these different relationships and jokes and they go off, do their day, follow some of them on their escapades on the buses, the bus eye, the bi, whatever you, whatever the um, plural for bus is. Bus, bus sexual. Bus sexual. <laughs> bus sexual. And uh, I think that'd be a good show. I think that'd be really good. And then the day ends and whatnot, and then there's some drama. Maybe there's a death, and there's a lot. I just shared it with everyone now. That someone's gonna steal it. I know. You shouldn't have done that. Anyway, that was Reddit. So that I thought that was good. Anything to add about buses before we we sign off on this? Um, no. Well, we should have more of them. They should be electric. They should be more bus lanes. I just haven't been, bike lanes. I haven't been on one in a long time. I, I don't even know how it. Like we used to. I don't know if you can you pay debit at this point on the bus. They are just start, or they apparently have awarded the contract for okay. the upcoming tap. Because like when I go to Toronto, I've just got the Presto app on my phone, yeah, and I go and just tap everywhere I go, whether right. it's the up train to downtown or the or the TTC. Mm. You just you just do that. So Halifax, just uh, my parents came uh, two years ago. We went on the ferry, and I had to go and use cash and I had to buy the little orange tickets. Yeah, and then we had to go and put the tickets in the little, and it was just so cumbersome. And my parents were like, why the heck don't you just tap your debit card? Oh yeah, I mean, we used to play with like just change, like dimes and nickels, and we would we would just throw whatever we had in there, and it was never the right amount. But on the school special, it, it'd be hard for the driver to stop you, right? And, and with with how many people were coming on to stop you and say, "Hey, you're twenty cents short," they would just kind of let you go. And well, then Toronto does that. You, the streetcar door opens and everyone floods in. Yeah, and the tourists are the ones paying. They they tap their Presto card, yeah. but nobody from Toronto pays. Yeah, we, I see a lot of people too around the, on Facebook and whatnot. And, uh, not people I really know anymore, but I still have them on Facebook. You know those people you just you've had them on Facebook. Oh, the, the Klingons. The Klingons. Yeah. You have them forever, and they're always posting. Oh, what what color is the transfer ticket today? Because they have a just a horde of transfer tickets they've held over the years, and so that they if it's orange today, they come with one of their orange oh, ones. Or if I it's used green. to hack that system well when I lived in Dartmouth. I found something in downtown Halifax. I'd get the transfer, make mm. sure whatever I was doing here was under two hours, and mm. use the transfer to get me back over. Ah, clever, clever, clever. Clever, clever. Oh. So you have a color coded transfer system. Are you you doing that? I do. You do? Yeah. yeah no. Every, no I, every color of the rainbow. Every color of the rainbow. I am a big fan. I need to get on a bus. I need to get on a bus. We will be doing next month's episode from a bus. Oh, on a bus. That? We're gonna interview what's his name? Food fingers or whatever. We uh, not a bus driver. Apparently, we need to interview Chris because he Chris. is the meanest. Let's get person. that trainer on. Let's get that trainer on. Should we get, try to find Chris? Let's air that dirty laundry out. Let's get it going. He, imagine we just had this complete. A hole on the podcast, just <laughs> mean as heck for an hour. It would be so much fun. Let's get, let's do it, and then, and then we'll do a surprise. We'll, we'll bring him on, or no, we'll bring on the one that was talking, talking shit about him. Bring them on, say, listen, so what do you think? Just uh, retreat and leave them is, to it. There's like, what do you think of Chris? Like, you mean like Chris has done this? He's a bad. You don't like him as a trainer, and then they'll just go on a rampage about Chris. We'll go, okay, well we brought Chris here today. Chris, come on in. We yeah. just leave and we say, just give us an hour's content. Yeah. And then Chris comes in and just uh, blows them up. So if you know Chris from Halifax Transit, he's a trainer, then put him in touch with us. Yeah, please do. Halifaxpodcast.gmail.com. So that was January's recorded February episode mm. of Matter of Facts. Is there anything we need to touch on before we leave? Anything you want to touch before you leave? I don't know. <laughs> I've been just I've been touching on things the whole time you've been in here. Um, nothing I need to touch on before we go. Mainly my water bottle. Yeah, water. I drank a lot of water this episode. I only drank ha- half a bottle. Thirty-five, and it uh, my bladder is not what it used to be. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not there yet. I'm twenty. Five. I'm you will. You will get there. In fact, twenty-five. So, so eighteen to twenty-five, as you know, is a kind of turning pivotal, pivotal era. Twenty-five to thirty-five is, to me, was nothing more than metabolism slowing. Mm. I already got that. Things loosening. Oh, fast. Things Sorry, loosening fast. that used to be tight. 
both in the in you know flesh and screws in the brain, mm. and a lot more, a lot fewer Fs to give. Yeah, I definitely do not care about the things or the number of things. I care about a lot still, but I care about a quarter of the things I used to care about when I was younger. And I can't wait to be forty-five and look back hmm. on me now and think, why the heck did I care about you know yeah. taxes and speed limits and oh, paying yeah. at the grocery you can store? Avoid all that somehow. Yeah, there's always ways stuff. to do it. Anyways, yeah, that was a great episode. Good, good way to kickstart our first twenty twenty three. Sorry, there's episode. a really cute dog down there. I didn't know what you're gonna say there. No um, dog, cute dog. We'll keep it in. Um, no, it's a beautiful day. It was a great, great episode. We'll try and keep get more frequent so there's not as much of a gap between episodes. But that was because of the holidays and the World Juniors. I went on a trip. You know, it's we're busy with work. Um, everything's going really good right now for us. So, wow, what a beautiful day. I'm gonna go probably enjoy a nice, nice meal. I'm pretty hungry right now. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> All right, we'll see you in uh, next month. <laughs>